Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, In your prayers do not babble as the pagans do, for they think that by using many words they will make themselves heard. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be held holy, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who are in debt to us and do not put us to the test, but save us from the evil one. Yes, if you forgive others their feelings, your Heavenly Father will forgive you yours. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your feelings either. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Having presented to us the three eminent good works, fasting, alms are given, and prayer, our Lord now goes on to tell us the manner by which we should pray. Namely, the things that we should pray for and the way in which we should make our prayer. And the first thing he says is, do not babble like the pagans. How do pagans pray? Well, pagans who are basically polytheists, they believe in many many gods, and they presume that these gods need to be placated. They need to be enticed. They need to be encouraged to be favorable. The gods of the pagans are not gods of love. They do not care for their people. They certainly will assist them, but often they expect to be served by them. And it doesn't really matter which um, pagan society we look at. Whereas the God of Abraham was in the eyes of the Jews, someone remote, a master, who cared for them, who was interested in what they did, but who also demanded from them obedience. Whereas Christ has revealed to us, in fact, that the God whom we serve is a father and therefore wills and wants our greatest good. Namely, because he's our father, he wants us to be in his home. And he's presenting to us the various means by which we can travel that road to his home. And so when the pagans babble, they are trying to encourage their gods to listen to them and to grant their requests. 
But our Lord said, it's not like this. But rather, your father already knows what you need. So he gives us the model prayer. Not the only prayer, but the model prayer. Since he knows what we need, why do we have to pray? Because he will only grant us some things if we pray. He will grant us the necessities. But the, the things that he will not give us readily are the things that we have to make an effort to attain. In other words, j just like um, a, a father, a parent, with his child, he will not immediately give the child everything, but will encourage the child. So if the child, for instance, wants a, a, a particular toy, the father won't give it to him, but he would hold it, and the child would make efforts to come and get it. In this way, he's training the child to walk. And so likewise for us. So when we have a need, we need to recognize we have the need, and we need to recognize we have a father who can provide us for, with the thing that we need. And so we ask him. And so he will give it sometimes immediately, sometimes he will not to encourage us to pray even more. And in that action of praying, our faith increases. So then he gives us the model prayer, which we all know, which we say every day, sometimes several times a day. But do we ponder what the words mean? Our Father in heaven. The first thing is the hour, that we don't pray for ourselves only. But because we are children and we have a common father, we pray for each other. That's the first thing. And so the prayer of one benefits the many, and the prayer of many benefits the one. Again, it's an expression of the mystical body of Christ, where the prayer of the church, even a single mass, is never offered for a particular intention, but primarily for the salvation of the whole world because it is the Mass being Christ's sacrifice, and Christ prayed for the salvation of all. But there are other intentions that can be attached to the Mass, and the same for our own individual prayer. So when we pray, we certainly pray for our needs, but because we say our, we also pray for the needs of others, and we have the consolation that the prayers of others are beneficial to us. Father, because he's the giver of all good gifts, he's the source, the origin of all things, and in heaven, so that our minds are raised up because we are on a pilgrimage, we are on a journey. And so we must look to the end. And by constantly thinking of heaven, we will naturally be drawn to heaven. Just as the Israelites, they will look into the promised land. And for the 40 years in which they wandered, their desire was for the promised land until, of course, they arrived. So we have saluted him. And so the first of the seven petitions that we offer, may your name be held holy. That is the first and the greatest petition. God's holiness. That his holiness might be recognized by all. And when we look for examples, we think of the angels in the great theophany of the prophet Isaiah when he saw the temple opened he heard the seraphim, the greatest of the angels. And what were they singing? Holy, holy, holy. 
And so the angels are proclaiming the holiness of God. When we go to the book of the Apocalypse, likewise, we find the angels praising God's holiness and praising his name. But we also find it among the saints. We think of Our Lady. For he that is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And so we, we can stop there and give thanks to God for the holiness of his name. Because in recognizing this holiness, we who are his children will also participate in his holiness. The second petition, your kingdom come. Well, God's kingdom come is what we ought to pray for as our, our um, personal need. But what does the kingdom come mean? What is God's kingdom? Well, God, the, everything belongs to God. He created everything. And therefore, the whole of creation is his kingdom. However, we know that even in this part of his creation, in this visible reality in which we live, in which we are on pilgrimage, that God's will God's kingdom is not always visible or we do not always sense it for the mere reason there's evil. And evil cannot exist in God's kingdom. So we recognize there are degrees of the kingdom. So the first degree, of course, is heaven itself where God rules among the blessed. And where there is no evil. And then there is here, this earth, where God's kingdom is present because it cannot not be. Yet it is mingled with evil. The kingdom of darkness also is here. And so we are praying that God's kingdom, the kingdom of light, will become ever more manifest, more visible that we might belong to it. He's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and placed us in the kingdom of his son, is what St. Paul says in the letter to the Colossians. So we pray that this kingdom of God might become more visible, more real to us, and that we are able to participate in it even more. God's kingdom will come at the end of the world, which is another manifestation of that kingdom. When Christ comes and his enemies are made of a footstool for his feet. And then everything will belong to God. The good, the virtuous, whom he will rule with justice and peace and every happiness. And then those who are evil, Satan and those who follow him, where they will be forced, compelled to serve God. And so God's kingdom will have truly come. But in the meantime, what we're praying for is that this kingdom might become more visible to us and that we live more in it than in the world. So that's the second. The third, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God who created all things, necessarily his will is done in heaven and on earth. Everything that exists is a consequence of his will. But because God created us as free creatures, it is possible for the free creature to go against the will of God. So we make that distinction between God's absolute will, what is. So whatever God wills, 
is, it happens, and no creature can possibly go against it. So, for instance, our very existence. God has willed our existence, so we are. And we will be for all eternity. Because God has created us to be. And we cannot do anything about it. Not even in hell. The, the creatures who are in hell, they continue to exist. They have no choice in the matter because God has created them and given them this, this, the grace of immortality. But there is another will in God in which he permits creatures, rational creatures, to be able to choose their path. And so we, we who are on the pilgrim way, we have on many occasions had choices that we can make. Well, most of us didn't have a choice in baptism, but we were baptized. But in confirmation, we had a choice. And then when we reach maturity, we could continue to live out our baptismal vows or not. And then we have a choice of whether we choose the married state, the single state, or the um, consecrated state. We have those choices, and we, can, we are free to make them. God may have created us with the intention, for instance, that we're married, but we choose the priesthood. It's our choice. God will, once we have made the choice, God gives the grace, and then we continue. Or it could be the contrary. But nonetheless, the subsequent will of God the, is the one that we pray, that we always choose what God wants for us, because we know that his will is always the best. And so we have prayed in the first three petitions for what directly belongs to God. And then in the next four, we reflect on ourselves. So we say, give us today our daily bread. And the daily bread consists of all the things that we need for our pilgrimage on earth, our journey in this life. So it's not only the food on our plate, but also clothes to wear, a place to live, work to do, and all of these things we ask him for. In the daily bread, we, again, we think of the manna. The people collected the manna, the bread, the bread of angels, each day in the morning. And it was sufficient for the day, no matter how much they collected. Nobody collected too much, nobody collected insufficient. Whatever they collected was always sufficient for the day. And likewise, we pray that God give us what is sufficient for us. The people who were greedy and saved some of the manna for the next day, apart from the Sabbath, what happened to it? It turned to worms. And likewise, if we end up with more than we need, actually need, the danger is that it will turn to worms for us. In other words, it will be injurious to us. So people pray for wealth, but they don't realize what they're doing. They're praying for the worms, or like the Gehizi's leprosy. So God, because he's a father, will only give us what is sufficient for us to sustain the day. And once, if we are satisfied with what God has given now, he will give and continue to give what is always beneficial for us. But when we pray for our daily bread, what should we really pray for but for the living bread that comes down from heaven, the manna, the true manna? If we pray to have that living bread, Christ, then we have all things. 
our Lord tells us, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all else will be added. So we should always, when we, especially when we say this particular verse, give us our daily bread, let us think of Christ who is the living bread. And so we've prayed for our daily needs, but what comes next? We have received God's gifts and then we misuse it. So we pray that he forgive us our sins because we've misused his gifts. We pray for this, and that also is very important, that we are creatures of, of, as Solomon says, of weak understanding with no sense of law. And so we ask for forgiveness. But our Lord adds something to this prayer. He doesn't just say, forgive us, but he actually tells us to pray so that weak we are children of a Father in heaven who is merciful, so that we might also be merciful because we are children of a merciful Father. And so we ask him to forgive us as we are ready to forgive. And of course, this is the one that we stumble on, all of us stumble on continually, because, again, it's, uh, we can become despondent about it because we don't realize what it means to forgive. Always we have the sense, our senses, which are reluctant to obey us and sometimes do not obey us. But we have our will, and it is the will that matters. So even though someone has offended us, we can still forgive, one, by not wishing them evil, two, by indeed praying for their good and their conversion and their salvation, and three, not rejoicing in misfortunes that can overtake them. And that is within our will. We can pray about that. And so how we feel is really secondary and almost of no significance. But it's that that bothers us. But if we focus our will, our intentions, to will, to want, to desire the good of our neighbor, then we have in fact fulfilled this particular petition. And our Father will forgive us. We can think of it another way. Are we, in general, truly sorry for our sins? Well, we can answer that in the quietness of our hearts, but we recognize that we are not really as sorry as we ought to be. And similarly, for our, our, our desire to forgive others, we may not feel it, but nonetheless we can will it. And do not put us to the test. Well, does God put us to the test? The answer is yes. In fact, we're told that when our Lord Jesus was baptized, the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led him. So God does put us to the test. Why? So that we might be strengthened by the conflict, by the combat. And in fact, St. James, in his letter, tells us, be full of joy when you are placed under temptation. That's what he says. Be full of joy. Because your faith is being strengthened. You know, and we know that, that as we said, no gain, no pain, no gain. So the being tempted is beneficial to us in as much as it increases our faith and the other virtues with it, uh, fortitude in particular. So God does not lead us. We also, in that petition, we also pray 
that God that we not be tested beyond our strength, nor do we, nor should we be allowed to be tested for long periods of time. But that the temptation be short. In other words, that there's always a window open by which we can escape and save us from the evil one. And of course, this is the last and the final one to remind us that we are engaged in warfare, in spiritual battle, and that we are confronting powers, principalities, even in the heavenly places. And so we ask to be saved from that, from the enemy who is always on the watch, who is like a roaring lion. And then to emphasize how important it is that we forgive, that we be like our Father, merciful. Our Lord adds again, if you forgive others their feelings, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you either. And so he tells us, he re-emphasizes the importance of forgiveness. And in fact, it is this, the, the um, ability to forgive, that will enable many of us to enter into heaven or even to escape hell. So as we pray the Our Father, we should begin always by invoking the Holy Spirit to help and ask his help for us that we understand that we live out this prayer the seven, with its seven petitions which our Lord, our Savior, our brother, Jesus Christ has given us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Mm-hmm.